Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10. on there good <laughs> okay let's have a word of prayer gracious father we thank you for the opportunity we have of being here today to fellowship together as believers to come and worship uh, our wonderful and mighty god and we pray that lord as we today come and we open up your word that you would give us wisdom and understanding Lord God, you'd guide our time. May we receive of you that which you'd have from us. Give me wisdom, I pray, from on high. Uh, just allow me to have the words that you want me to say. And Lord God, may we be blessed by your word this morning as we study together. That we might uh, exalt your holy name. Father, we thank you for this precious book. We thank you for its truth. And we pray today that you bless us through it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the present state of the nation of Israel, <clears throat> as we speak even now, is that Israel is separated from their God. And Israel separated from God because they rejected him. And Romans chapter 9 spelt that out clearly for us, that Israel rejected their Messiah, rejected their God, and because of that, they'd been separated from their God. The nation of Israel, as a nation today, is in unbelief. Here in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, we're given four detailed reasons why it is that Israel is not saved. We've seen the first three of those reasons in the previous sermon. And that was that they did not feel a need for salvation in verse 1. They were zealous for God, but not according to knowledge in verse 2. And they were proud and self-righteous in verse 3. Now today we come to the fourth reason as to why Israel was not saved. And that is that they misunderstood their own law. And that's spelled out for us here in Romans chapter 10, verses 4 through 13. You know, everything about the Jewish religion was designed to point them as a nation to their Messiah, to point them to Christ. Their sacrifices, their priesthood, and the temple services, the religious festivals, the feasts, and the covenants were all designed for one purpose— in the Old Testament, the whole purpose of all those things was to point them to the Messiah, to draw them to Christ. But instead of letting the law bring them to Christ, they started to worship the law. They saw the law as the means of salvation, not Christ. They saw the law as the means of righteousness, not their Messiah. And they started to worship the law instead of the Savior. And ultimately, they rejected Jesus Christ. That is why Paul declares, firstly this morning, that Christ is the end of the law, in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law. Now, we need to understand that the word translated end here means that which completes a thing or renders something perfect we've got to get out of our head the thought of what end usually means. End to us means something is finished, that it's no longer needed, it's ended, it's over, it's not needed anymore. But that's not what this end means here. It's not what the Greek 
means. The end here means that thing which completes a thing or renders it perfect. You see, the law has not come to an end in the sense of no longer reflecting God's standard or no longer showing our need for the Savior or no longer being God's defining testimony of righteousness. The law has not ended in that sense. Spurgeon said this about it. He said, Christ did not come to make the law milder or to render it possible for our cracked and battered obedience to be accepted as a sort of compromise. The law is not compelled to lower its terms as though it had originally asked too much. It is holy and just and good and ought not to be altered in one jot or tittle, nor can it be. I mean, the law still exists. God's standard still stands. The law is not faulty. The law was never given for means of salvation. The, if you look on, the Jews thought the law was the means of salvation. It's not the means of salvation. The law is not the problem. The law is not faulty. The law is not done the, has, not, has, not, has rather fulfilled the job which it was given to do. It's not failed in its task. Its design was to reveal God's righteousness to you and I, and ultimately then point us to Christ. Even today, the law still reveals sin. It still reveals our need for the Savior. It still reveals that we fall short of God's righteousness. The law still stands. It's not ended. But more than that, the law was a signpost. It was a schoolmaster that points us to Christ. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians 3. And verse 24. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The purpose of the law was to point us and still to point us Christ, it still is a schoolmaster, it still is a signpost pointing people to the Savior. Now, the Jews thought that keeping the law was the means of salvation, they thought that by keeping the law, they could obtain the righteousness that God required of them. It says in verse 3 For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going back to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They thought that by keeping the law, they could obtain the righteousness that was satisfactory to be accepted by God to go to heaven. They missed the point of what the law was given for. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4 makes it clear that the law could not give us righteousness. It only leads to the Savior who could impute his righteousness to us. The law reveals to you and I the righteousness that God requires for salvation. Faith in Christ provides that righteousness. That's the point of verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. We're going to see as we go to verse 5 and following that if you are to be saved by the law, you have to keep the law in totality. Since man is sinners, the law reveals what we are, which is sinners before a holy God. 
Jesus Christ is the means by which you obtain the righteousness which the law spells out. He is the end. He's the fulfillment. He is the ultimate means of obtaining that which the law demands of us. In order for you and I to have a relationship with God, we have to have the righteousness of the law. And the only way that you and I can obtain that righteousness, that you and I can attain the righteous standard of a holy God, is through Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate end of the law. He is that place of righteousness. And the end, therefore, has the idea of the purpose of the law, which is righteousness, is now accomplished by faith in Christ. And in verse 4 here, where we read, For Christ, it must be understood that this is referring to the Messiah, the Christ. He doesn't say for Jesus. He doesn't say for the Lord. It says for Christ. This is the Messiah. You see, the law and the Old Testament scriptures had one end, or one fulfillment in sight, and that was the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Pastor Mitchell said this in his notes on Romans. He said, It is faith in Christ before and after the cross, whether one believed in the Old Testament shadow or believed in the New Testament substance, it was and is faith in Christ that brings the righteousness of God to anyone who believes. To obtain the righteousness which God requires, you have to believe by faith. That's what Jesus Christ himself constantly said throughout his teaching. Let's look at one passage. John chapter 5, please. To illustrate this, John chapter 5 and verse 37. Let's pick it up in verse 36. But I have a greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me. And the Father hath sent me, and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not, uh, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, uh, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. As the Lord's teaching, and you can read it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, throughout his teachings. He points people to the Word of God, to the Old Testament. And he says, the Old Testament teach of me. It's not about the law. It's not about keeping the law. It's all about Christ. And to obtain salvation, to obtain the righteousness that God requires of us, it's by faith in Christ. And now by faith in Christ, we can be saved. Something the law can never do. This was the Jews' problem. They thought that they could keep the law. They thought the law was the end of the matter. But in a sense, it was a means to an end. And that means to an end was the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The law tells us the kind of righteousness we need. Faith in Christ gives us that righteousness that God demands. Jesus Christ is the end of that. He is the purpose of all those Old Testament teachings. He's the fulfillment of all the symbols, the fulfillment of all the types. Now that the 
Antitype has come. Now that the fulfillment has come, the law is seen for what it was, the means by which it points to Christ. And in faith in Him brings salvation. Now, having shown that the Jews' righteousness was defective, for it was dependent on the law, not Christ, Paul now goes on, and secondly, to show God's salvation defined. God's salvation defined in verses 5 through 13. And here in Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 13, we have proven to us, or Paul seeks to prove to us, his readers, and to the readers of his day, that they did not even understand their own law. And Paul now quotes from some Old Testament passages to explain to them the meaning of the law. And first he once again explains the righteousness of the law in verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Here he quotes Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. And what he says to them is, he said what Leviticus said, what Moses said in Leviticus was, that a man which doeth those things in the law shall live by them. He's saying the same thing that James chapter 2 and verse 10 says. James 2, 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. See, if you want to be righteous by keeping the law, then you have to keep all of it. If you offend in one point, then you are guilty of it all. Or as Moses said, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. You have to live all your life by the law. And no time during your life can you break any one of those laws. If you want to be declared righteous by the law, you have to keep the law in perpetuity from the moment you're born to the moment you die and never offend in one point at all. For the moment you breach the law once, you're guilty of all. That's why the law cannot save. That's why you cannot get saved by keeping the law, by works, because the moment you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of all. And the major problem with that is that no one is capable of keeping the law perfectly. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have failed in some aspect of the law. All of us are guilty. So trying to be righteous by keeping the law of Moses was and is impossible. And so secondly, Paul goes on to explain the righteousness of faith in verses 6 through 10. He says in verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Here in Romans chapter 
10 and verse 6, Paul, Paul says, but. So here he's going to give to us the opposing position. There's another way that you and I can seek to be righteous. There's another way that you and I can seek to be accepted by God. And this way is attainable. By trying to keep the law, you'll never attain it. But there is another way. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. There is a righteousness which comes by faith. Paul does not say it here. But you know, faith always has an object. And so what he means here in Romans chapter 10 and verse 6 is that faith in Christ is the means of righteousness. Faith in Christ is the object. Christ is the object of our faith. So when he says, but the righteousness which is of faith Faith in Christ speaketh on this wise. Now Paul quotes a well-known passage, maybe not well-known to us, but well-known to the Jews, from Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14, to help his readers understand where they can find information about the righteousness of faith. Let me read Romans 6, uh, 10, 6 to 8 again, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. Now, I don't know about you, I don't ever remember reading that in the Old Testament. Maybe you do remember it, but it's not the most... Uh, you know, uh, uh, dynamic passage as far as you think about salvation. Okay, if I said to you, quote to me an Old Testament passage, speaking with the subject of salvation of faith in Christ, you'd automatically go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, wouldn't you? No, well, I wouldn't. Deuteronomy 11.30. In fact, Pastor Mitchell, his notes, calls it, Paul now gives some obscure passages to explain his truth. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, chapter 30, please. And let's turn to verse 11, and let's read the Old Testament passage that Paul's talking about in Romans. He says, this, For this commandment, which I command thee this day, is it not hidden from thee, neither is it far off? It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should know, shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Okay, so that's the Old Testament passage. And the theme of Deuteronomy chapter 30 is the commandment. Now the commandment, of course, is the word of God. Moses argues to the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he argues with the Jews, they had no reason to disobey the word of God. Because they'd had it clearly explained to them. It was not some mystery to them. They didn't need to go to heaven to find it. They didn't need to go to the depths of the sea to find it. It was clearly spelled out for them. They had received it. In fact, Moses had uh, urged them to receive the word of God in their hearts. There was nothing mysterious about what God required of them. There was nothing mysterious about the truth. And the emphasis of Deuteronomy is on the heart. It's on the inner spiritual condition, not upon the outward 
acts of obedience. And that's what Moses is trying to say to them. You have this word, it's been given to you, you know what it says, now live by it, now obey it from the heart. Believe it in your heart and live it the glory of God. In Romans chapter 10 verses 6 through 8, what the Apostle Paul does for us, he gives to us the spiritual understanding of the Deuteronomy passage. He helps you understand, you and I understand what it's saying. He saw the commandment or the word of God as meaning Christ. Notice what he says in verse 6. But the rights of which of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven? This is the Deuteronomy passage. Then he explains it, that is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, who shall descend into the depth? Deuteronomy. Or, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. So Paul gives you and I the understanding of the admonition that this commandment in Deuteronomy is none other than Christ. He explains that the word regarding righteousness is found in Christ. And this word regarding righteousness which is found in Christ is not up in heaven. You and I don't have to go looking for it in the heavens. It's not in the deeps, deepest sea. And you and I don't have to go searching for it. It's very near. Notice what it says in verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. The point being made here is that the very word that the Jews would have learnt as children, and the word on the lips of every religious leader of Israel, was the word of faith. If they just listened to the word of faith, and they believed it in their hearts, they would be saved. You see, it was not hidden from them. God was not playing some, you know, P-trick with shuffling around saying, find righteousness, and they had to guess which, P, which uh, 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 nut it was under, whatever that thing's called. Uh, <laughs> can't even remember. Well, you know, they're doing the P-trick, uh, which cup it's under, Okay. God wasn't playing some trick with them. God says, it's clearly for you. It's there. It's been spelled out in the Old Testament. Just look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. And notice what Moses said. And Moses was speaking about the very same things that the New Testament is speaking about. And in this case, you don't have to go to heaven to find Christ. You don't have to go to the deepest sea to find Christ. The very words that are spoken to you speak of him and the righteousness that God requires for salvation. The very law that they read pointed to Christ. There's no secret. They could not claim there was a mystery hidden from them. And the same is true today, beloved. You know, Christ has told us that God's way of salvation is not difficult. It's not complicated. There's not some mystery about how people get saved. There's not some uh, code you have to crack in order for people to get saved. It's simple faith in Jesus Christ. We do not have to go to heaven to find Christ. We don't have to go to the world of the dead to find Christ, which is what verses 6 and 7 says. Who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above? 
Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the dead. The gospel, the word of faith, is available and accessible to all. The word is nigh thee. That's a wonderful truth. God did not hide from Israel the means of salvation. And God certainly hasn't hidden from you and I and this generation the means of salvation. It's there in plain language for all to see. If people would only open their eyes and open their hearts, they can see God's righteousness and receive God's righteousness by faith in Christ. The gospel, the word of faith, is available to all. The sinner doesn't need to perform some difficult works to be saved. Everybody can immediately receive righteousness by faith by trusting in the word of the gospel. And that's the point Paul, point Paul makes in verse 9. He ends verse 7 by saying, that, that is the word of faith which we preach. Here it is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Paul says it's not difficult. It's not complicated. This whole thing about getting righteousness is not hard. It's not all about keeping the law. It's not hidden from you. God is not playing some game here, hiding the truth from you. It's before you. It's in plain sight. It's not in heaven. It's not in the depths of the, where the dead are, the deepest sea. It's in plain sight. It's before you. It's clearly seen. And here it is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now I know Paul goes about a long way to get to this point. He could have just said this, and you and I have said, yes, amen, we believe this. But what Paul is trying to do is make a case for the simplicity of the gospel. It is simple. All a sinner needs to do to be saved is trust in Christ. The means of obtaining God's righteousness is by faith. Now the emphasis here in verse 9 is on confessing and agreeing that Jesus is the Lord. As it says, if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and they believe in thine heart that God raised them, thou shalt be saved. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. The Lord here refers to the same person who's called Christ in verses 6 and 7. That is, to bring Christ down from, the, from above. That is, to bring Christ again from the dead. So, this is the Christ, the Lord. What a person has to do to be saved is to confess that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the Messiah. To be saved, to attain the righteousness that God requires, both Jew and Gentile alike must confess that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. The whole point here is recognizing who Christ is. In order for someone to be saved, they have to acknowledge who Christ is. 
They must believe in his person and his work. They must acknowledge that he is God of very God. They must acknowledge that he is the Lord of glory. They must acknowledge that he is who he says he is and believe in him and his work. In other words, the confession here is declaring, I believe Christ is who he says he is. I believe Christ is the Messiah. That was the Jews' point. They were, he was a stumbling block to them. They rejected him. What they needed for salvation was to acknowledge that Christ was who he says he was. And in order for a person to get saved today, you have to acknowledge who Christ is. Acknowledge his person and his work. And then a sinner must believe in the heart. This is not just lip service. Just saying, yes, I believe in Christ doesn't save. You have to believe in the heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You actually have to believe that Jesus Christ was dead, buried, and rose again. That's interesting. Paul doesn't talk about the death here. He talks about the resurrection because he's talking about the ultimate conclusion to what Christ did at Calvary. Okay? So he's saying you have to believe that body of truth with regards to salvation. You have to believe the body of truth about Christ's victory at Calvary. That he was died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. You have to believe in the resurrection. You have to acknowledge who he is. You have to acknowledge what he's done. And you have to believe that in the heart. And when you do, thou shalt be saved. You know, mere intellectual agreement with the facts of the cross and the resurrection is not enough. A person has to believe in their heart. It's faith in Jesus as the risen Christ that saves. It's faith in Jesus, the risen Christ, that makes us righteous. And that righteousness comes by faith. Paul explains this further in verse 10. He says this, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This explains what Paul was saying back in verse 3. He said this in verse 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, hath not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And now he says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is how you get that righteousness which is required for salvation. To submit to God's righteousness is not to keep the law. But rather it's to believe in the heart and to confess with thy mouth that Jesus is the Christ. God's word makes it clear that salvation is by faith. When we believe in the heart, we receive God's righteousness and then we confess Christ with our mouths openly, without shame, we willingly acknowledge that he is our saviour. That's the point of verse 10. When you genuinely believe in Christ as your saviour, it affects you from the heart, it will affect your speech. You will confess him. We don't gain God's righteousness by words or by works. We gain it by confessing and believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Confession has to do, do with agreeing with. When we confess the Lord Jesus, we agree with what God has said about Jesus and what Jesus said about himself. 
It means that you and I recognize that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. His work on the cross is the only way of salvation. That's what the thief on the cross acknowledged. Go back with me to Luke 23. Luke 23. The thief on the cross is a great illustration of what Paul's talking about. Luke 23, verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto, him, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He acknowledged who Christ was. This man, he says, had done nothing amiss. And then he turned to Christ and acknowledges him as Lord. He acknowledges who he is. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Christ says, you'll be with me today in paradise. By simple faith, by an acknowledgement of who Christ was, that man on the cross was saved. Paul shows that the prime ingredient to be saved is believing heart. By quoting from Isaiah 28 and verse 16 and verse 11, he goes on, he says, For the scripture saith, this is Isaiah 28, 16, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. It is faith, not works, that makes us not ashamed. Somebody said, For the blessings that do not disappoint, believe God. And notice here it says, Whosoever. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whoever believes is not disappointed. Whoever believes is not ashamed. Whoever believes receives the gift of salvation. Pastor Mitchell put it this way, the condition of salvation applies to all despite color or creed. That's clearly spelled out for us in verse 12. He goes and he says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. There's not one God for the Jews who is more kind and another God for the Gentiles who is less kind. He's the same to all and common father of all mankind and therefore the same faith in Christ will save. The word rich there in verse 12 where it says for there is no difference between Jew and the Greek for the same Lord Overall is rich unto all that call upon him. The word rich is plenteous in grace. He's liberal, he's bountiful in dispensing his grace to all that call upon him. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, we have Paul's final quote from Joel 2.32. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's his conclusion of everything he's been saying, if you want the righteousness that God provides, if you want the righteousness that God requires, then it's simply this way, call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20 to 23, we were told that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentiles in their condemnation. Romans 3, 20. 
Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. Romans 3 told us no difference between the Jew and the Gentile in condemnation. And now in Romans 10.13, we're told there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile in salvation. Instead of the Jews having a special righteousness of their own through the law, the Jews had to understand they were as much sinners as the Gentiles were sinners. And they needed salvation as much as the Gentiles needed it. And the salvation that was available to the Gentiles was available to them. And it was all by faith in Jesus Christ. And if they would only call upon the name of the Lord, they would be saved. Truth is the same today, isn't it? All of us are sinners. All of us fell short of the glory of God. All of us were condemned because of our sin. But the good news, the great news, is that everyone can by faith receive the righteousness that God requires. By faith, all who will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And the wonderful word is whosoever. Nobody is excluded from God's offer of salvation. And he told us that Israel was going the wrong way about being righteous. And having also shown us why it was wrong and what is the correct way to obtain righteousness, Paul will go on in the rest of the chapter to show that no one, but especially the Jews, have any excuse for not believing and being made righteous. And we'll see that next time. But today, you know, beloved, we ought to be thankful that salvation is ours by faith in Christ. And not by keeping the law. And while Paul went about it the long way to get to the simple fact, the simple fact is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is a glorious truth. I don't know, maybe there's somebody today here or somebody watching online who doesn't know the Savior. That hasn't come to the place where you've acknowledged him as the one who died for you and you're not saved. Well, if you're not saved, salvation is still available to you today because salvation is available to all who will believe. Why not trust him today before it's too late? And beloved, let's praise God that salvation is free to all who believe. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge, Father God, from the word. We thank you, Father God, for uh, the truth of your word. And we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. We thank you, Father, it's not complicated. We thank you that it's not hidden from us. We don't have to go to heaven to find it. We don't have to go down to the depths of the sea to find it. We find it in Christ, contained in your word. And we can be saved by faith in him. We thank you, Father God, for this wonderful passage. Bless our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.